Good, this is Trent Murphy, number 93 from the Buffalo Bills. You're listening to Jamie King and Sports King on Sports 1061. Coastal Carolina University offers you the academic experiences you need to succeed after college. From marine science to computer science, from theater to music technology, from hospitality management to health administration, there is a place for you at Coastal Carolina University. With inspired learning opportunities in the classroom, in the field, online, and around the world, Coastal Carolina offers the opportunities to support and empower your success. Visit coastal.edu to learn more. Less is more, right? Well, not when it comes to dealership benefits. I'm Tim Cosgrove, General Manager at CMA's Colonial Honda. We're extending the warranty on every new car from 5 years 60,000 miles to 7 years and 100,000 miles. Don't forget, we also have 7 Honda Master Technicians, a community outreach program, free car washes with each service, and many other benefits. CMA's Colonial Honda. Owners just do more. Visit cmascolonialhonda.com today. Sports King Show, live on Sports 1061. The show with scores, interviews, the hottest topics, and the biggest sports stories of the day. It's the show where you'll hear from the players that make the plays, as well as the key coaches and personnel who make it happen. All of this and live phone calls from you, the Sports King Nation. Now, direct from his castle, located in an undisclosed location in the capital city of Richmond, Virginia, let's welcome to the throne, His Highness, Jamie King, the Sports King, on Sports 1061. And good morning, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Sports King. Uh, excited to be here on Wednesday, of course. Ben Maitland. No Atlanta Braves attire today. It's ACDC. He's back in black, folks. And he's behind the glass doing a great job, as always. Want to thank you wherever you're listening to the show internationally, coast to coast throughout Central Virginia, and yesterday it warmed up. It got nice, 70 degrees plus yesterday. Uh, looks like the clouds are going to lift here soon and another big day ahead in terms of weather. So we hope you can get out and enjoy a little bit later today. On the show today, we're very excited to be joined momentarily by Hello, Bobby. Bobby D. Bob yes, Dandridge who is a local native. We'll talk about that. Of course, he starred for the Milwaukee Bucks, the Washington Bullets. Just an amazing player, one of my all-time favorites. When I grew up, you know, there were some guys that stood out to you. Of course, you had uh, Elvin Hayes, Wes Unseld. But this was my all-time favorite team. So this is not only a... A story I love to cover, and every time I talk to Bob Dandridge, it's always enjoyable. He is an amazing person, uh, was absolutely one of the greatest players to ever play the game. Uh, whenever you talk about the all-time greats, you cannot talk NBA basketball, the legacy, and the great players without mentioning Bobby Dandridge. And uh, Ice always at home, it'd be like, man, Bobby D, Bobby D. I was so excited whenever he got the ball because great things always happen whenever he touched the basketball. And joining us now from his home, here he is. Man, what a thrill for me. Bobby Dandridge, welcome to the Sports King Show. Well, thank you very much for having me this morning and giving me the opportunity to always be able to talk about sports. 
Well, I'll tell you what. Um, as I said, it's hard for me not to get excited. I know I'm supposed to be uh, neutral here, but I can't help but uh, tell you, as you know, I've always told you whenever I talk to you, one of the thrills watching you, and, and this is one of the great things about my job, getting to talk to a childhood hero, because uh, whenever number 10 had the ball, it was always exciting. Your shot was unbelievable, uh, whether it be pressure shots or uh, off the dribble. You could do anything with the basketball. How did it come so easy? to you Bobby <laughs> really this it didn't come that easy uh, I was blessed to have had some good coaches I think that was uh, that was the main thing I my first coach we just learned the fundamentals I mean hours of dribbling left hand right hand left hand right hand layup and then again you know I know that I was blessed with an aptitude for for basketball and so with that combination and growing up uh having to earn your right to play on the playground required that you spend a lot of time practicing sometimes most of the time practicing by yourself so uh you know it was it was difficult, but yet it was fun because I just had a passion for the sport at an early age, although I played some, you know, youth league football and baseball. It was always uh, getting to the basketball court itself, which was my passion. Let's go back. Uh, born in Richmond, Virginia, a proud Virginian. Of course, you attended Maggie Walker High School in Richmond, Go back to your high school days. How did it all start for you as you got into high school and uh, talk about your high school career and when you started uh, putting things together as a player? Well, you know, high school probably was the beginning. As a 10th grade, again, you know, learning the fundamentals of basketball. And basketball was not the number one <laughs> Sport at my high school, uh, football uh, was what my high school Maggie Walker was uh, traditionally known for, and probably one of the better players was uh, Willie Lanier, the Hall of Famer uh, from the Kansas City Chiefs, and then at one time Morgan State had a lot of great football teams back during the 70s and 80s, and a lot of uh, football players from my high school went to Morgan State. And then, uh, you know, Arthur Ashe also attended Maggie Walker. So there was a rich tradition of sport uh, at Maggie Walker. And, you know, during that particular time, there were only two uh, high schools that African Americans could go to back during the uh, 60s and uh, 50s, and that was Armstrong High School and uh, Maggie Walker High School. So uh, everybody that played high school ball in the city of Richmond, we basically knew each other. We competed against each other during the summers, and uh, so. Maggie Walker was a good starting point uh, for me. And key to that was that there was this uh, Virginia Union University, which was right down the street 
from Maggie Walker High School, and so we got a chance to play with a lot of college players. Um, and most of these guys were from New York City. In fact, most of them were out of Brooklyn. <laughs> and so we had an opportunity to play against, uh, you know, guys from northern schools. And, of course, New York was uh, considered a haven for basketball. But uh, we were fortunate, uh, you know, guys like Arthur Niles and, guys of that nature that came from Brooklyn. So we had a good chance to develop against some city guys. Uh, and I think that was as big a part of my growth as, as being at Maggie Walker that we got a chance to play against college players. Our special guest on the Sports King Show this morning is Bobby Dandridge, of course, NBA champion multiple times. We'll get to that in a few minutes. Of course, you teamed up with Pee Wee Kirkland. Uh, you went uh, to Norfolk State University. You had phenomenal years there. The Spartans won the CIAA title in 1968 with a 25-2 record. You lost in the second round of the NCAA Division II men's uh, tournament. The next year, you went 21-4 and and lost in the first round, then drafted by the Kentucky Colonels in the 1969 American Associ- Basketball Association, and then to the Bucks, and then, of course, on to the Bulls. Um, go back to Norfolk State. Talk about that time. You guys were off the charts good. Uh, that really laid the foundation for you to make that next step to the NBA. Talk about the Norfolk State University time. Well, the Norfolk State uh, University time was, uh, again, uh at Norfolk State, uh, our coach, Ernest Sears, had recruited um, probably the, all the best African-American basketball players in the state of Virginia came to Norfolk State um, because they uh, had a run-and-gun team and probably over a four-year period at Norfolk State, we averaged about 102 points a game. Wow. Four years, and even my third year there, my junior year, we led the nation in scoring, be it Division One or Division Two, for at least about all season. And at one point, we averaged 110 points a game, uh, at least for about the first 15 games of my junior year. So... Uh, we just had good teams at Norfolk State with good coaching, and we played in the CIAA conference, which had, uh, you know, guys like Al Adel, Sam Jones, uh, Cleo Hill, Earl Monroe, Mike Davis out of Virginia Union guys. So we had good players, or two guys. Hank and Jake Ford out of Maryland Eastern Shore. But Norfolk State was just a special place at that particular time because we had the full support of the community, not only the community, but the uh, instructors at the university were almost like coaches that we had certain expectations put up on us in the classroom as well as the basketball court. So it was a very nurturing 
type of atmosphere for us. And you mentioned Wee Kirkland, who, you know, was the starting point guard for us the year that we went to the uh, NCAA. Uh, uh, everybody knows about him as the playground legend, but I had a, the story people know, never talk about is that there, the guy, there was a point guard that was starting in front of Pee Wee that year who broke his arm. And Pee Wee was able to step into the starting lineup. And it wasn't to say that Pee Wee uh, would not have played a lot that season and probably, probably would have been a sixth man if Tommy Long hadn't broken his arm. And <laughs> I guess that's never spoken about <laughs> because Pee Wee was a playground legend and is a playground legend, but for sure. And in fact, we won the MVP in the tournament that year uh, to show you how competitive the CIAA was that that was probably the greatest uh, tournament game in the CIAA because we went, uh, that was a triple overtime game. And so, uh, you know, my experiences basketball-wise, socially and academically, uh, gave me that competitive uh, atmosphere on and off the court. And uh, we had a coach named Ernie Fears who, after finished coaching, he went on to be director of selective service for the state of Virginia. And then he left there and went to the radio station Q107 up, up in the D.C. area, uh, which at that time was that he went there may have been ranked in maybe the mid-20s among stations, and then he ended up bringing that up to number one. And so I just had some great mentors and professors and schoolmates at uh, Norfolk State. So Norfolk State was and still is a very special me. I tell you what, I wish we had some cameras back in the day to take some of those uh, some of those uh, playground games you guys have. They're probably some of the best games that were never seen. Uh, you guys, all the talent down there uh, playing. Let's talk about uh, the Milwaukee Bucks. Of course, uh, you're drafted uh, the six foot six, hundred ninety five pounder in the fourth round, forty fifth pick overall. You go to Milwaukee. You end up, uh, of course, winning a championship uh, alongside Hall of Famer Lou Alcindor, then uh, Lou Alcindor, then now Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Oscar Robinson. Man, you're talking about royalty, and you were right there, uh, such a great player with them. What did that mean to you, what you went through in Milwaukee, the experiences, and, of course, winning a championship there? Well, I guess the big thing was uh, being uh, probably projected when I went to rookie camp as, uh, you know, he could not being a starter, but, you know, just coming off of the bench. And then uh, after leaving rookie camp, which was a four-day affair, still questionable about how I was, whether or not I was going to make the team, but probably going into about the second week in training camp, uh, moving up to a position that I could possibly be a starter. And so I ended up starting from game one 
then, you know, going through a full season with Kareem and the learning trend and developing all the way. And I think one of the big attributes there was we had a coach, uh, Larry Costello, who two years, three years before we won the championship, he had been a member of that 76er championship team in Philly. And so he bought to us as a coach uh, firsthand experience of what it took to be a world champion. So that gave us, I think, a big up on some other teams who didn't have uh, former players as coaches. And then, of course, that second year with Big O coming in and being the guy who uh, gave us that leadership and his drive of having been a great player for 10, 12 years in the league, but not having won a championship. And now he could come to a team that had uh, a center, of course, that could compete and outplay, you know, guys like Russell Wilk, be able to battle Willis Reed and, and that group, Nate Thurman. Uh, so the big O was, you know, really saw this as an opportunity for him to to be a world champion to include with his other individual records. And I know my second year in the league when we won the championship, I, I really had taken for granted uh, the status of being a world champion because I played on good championship teams in college, but uh, the significance of winning the world championship in Milwaukee, I never really realized the significance until about my sixth or seventh year, and I looked back and saw that some of the greatest players in the league, uh, my predecessors, some had not won a championship at that time. Rick Barry hadn't won a championship. Uh, a couple other guys who were great players had not won championships. And then I guess Kareem and I played a couple more years together. We went to the world championship two years later, lost to Boston. Um, And then eventually Kareem left, and I I was not stuck in Milwaukee, but I was blessed um, to play with a bunch of young guys, Brian Winters, Quinn Buckner, Junior Bridgman, Alex English, which I think really uh, it was a blessing because it allowed me to surface as a leader. Um, I had already learned from Austin Kareem how to perform in the critical points at the end of the game to be able to uh, be a leader, and then when I went to Washington, um, I went there just to blend in with Janier, uh, Unsell, and Hayes. I didn't really go there expecting to, uh, knowing the spec- expectations that they had of me, and and the expectations were that we were going to win a championship now that I was there. And 
because Washington knew at that time that they could never get out of the East uh, because they had nobody to contend, contend with Julia Servant up in Philly, and I had always had had success against the doctor, and that was the case when we went to went to, when I went to Washington. We were able to get through the seventy sixers in the playoffs. Uh, and, um, I, I had assumed and relished being the leader of that particular championship team, uh, being able to score in clutch situations, being able to defend adequately to maybe slow down some top scorers at times. And, uh, and then the second year in Washington, which was about my tenth year in the league, we went back uh, to the championship again against uh, go against uh, Seattle with Gus Williams, Freddie Brown, Jack Sigma, but they had gotten uh, a year wiser, and we had gotten a year older, so. Uh, they sort of took care of us in that championship, and then I'm still bitter know, about that. I'm still upset about that. You guys should have won that one too. You guys are so good. Yeah, but we we were banged up, and like <laughs> I said, we all of us had twelve or thirteen years, but with Gus, uh, Gus Williams, Sigma, Freddie Brown, you know, they were just. <laughs> coming to their own in the sixth or seventh year. So, you know, it was it was the changing of the guards. We had gotten older. They had gotten younger and wiser. So it was appropriate for the progression and aggression in the league. We're going to take a timeout. You're listening to the great Bobby Dandridge. Of course, Folks, this guy I could read forever, a two-time NBA champion, over 15,550 points. Of course, uh, he has uh, been amazingly, uh, in terms of his accolades, there's nothing he can't do, defensive, offensive. We'll talk about all that. We're going to come back after the break. Also, he's inducted in 1992 into the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. And we'll talk about all the other accolades and more as our conversation continues with the great Bobby Dandridge on the Sports King on Sports 1061. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Mike Singletary, former Chicago Bear, Hall of Famer. You're listening to my friend, Jamie King, the Sports King on Sports 106.1. Less is more, right? Well, not when it comes to dealership benefits. I'm Tim Cosgrove, general manager at CMA's Colonial Honda. We're extending the warranty on every new car from five years, 60,000 miles to seven years and 100,000 miles. Don't forget, we also have seven Honda Master Technicians, a community outreach program, free car washes with each service, and many other benefits. CMA's Colonial Honda. Owners just do more. Visit cmascolonialhonda.com today. You're listening to a man whose yoga instructor asked him how flexible he was, and he replied that he couldn't do Tuesdays. It's the Sports King on Sports 106.1. Welcome back. Our continuing conversation on the Sports King with the legend Bobby Dandridge, one of my all-time favorites, war number 10, of course, and uh, 
was such a great player for both the Milwaukee Bucks, leading them to a title, as well as Washington Bullets. We'll talk about that special team in a few minutes. But, Bobby, I just want to let you know, Kevin Brown, a great high school coach of Virginia, just texting. He's listening. Uh, another aspect uh, about your game, he's like, hey, I can still hear uh, Mel Proctor saying, Bob Dandruff, the one-hander's good. <laughs> So you're getting people you're getting people excited this morning. It's ex- it's so exciting Uh-oh. to hear. But well, uh, you could do it all. Now let's uh let's talk about the fact uh, one of the things that upsets me about your career. 15,550 points, okay folks. 5,715 rebounds, 2,846 assists. He did it on the offensive end. Of course, uh, four-time NBA All-Star, two-time NBA champion, NBA All-Defensive team, first team, NBA All-Rookie first team. His number was retired by the Milwaukee Bucks. His number 12 retired by Norfolk State, but yet has not been given the Hall of Fame nod. If Bobby Dandridge doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, there should not be a Hall of Fame. Bob, how do you take that? I mean, the numbers are there. Your performance was there. The fact that you weren't uh, the flamboyant guy that did all the talking, you let your game do the talking. Why do you feel you haven't got the opportunity to the Hall at this point? You know, I could. You know, it's a, it's a difficult question for me to answer, and I guess. I've not had those one or two people who have been advocates for me, um, which is what's needed. And uh, just not on the right side of the politics of getting into the Hall of Fame. And surely I would not want to say anything that would hurt my chances, but uh, I'm sure that my qualifications would are as good as at least 50% of the people that are already in the Hall of Fame, But and that's not to say anything against the people that are in there because everybody that's in there should be in there. Um, and I guess the bottom line is being patient, going on with the rest of my life um, and enjoying it, which I am doing, and, and I'm blessed, but surely it's a accolade that I think I deserve to have and at the right time, and I hope soon, especially while I'm still living, <laughs> that I can <laughs> walk across that stage, but I just think... Um, you know, surely I've done everything. I've played well. And so it's an honor that I do deserve. It is an honor he deserves. And I beg anybody listening that has any pull or any knowledge of anybody within the Hall confines, please, uh, I shouldn't have to do this, and nobody should have to do this. And I, and I feel about Bob Dandridge this way. He doesn't thump his chest. He doesn't beg for this. He hasn't asked for it. He basically said, hey, my career stands on itself. And basically, that should be enough. And so many guys out there that have to campaign for it to get it, uh, maybe shouldn't get it. But in Bob Dandridge's case, the numbers are there. He deserves it. And I continually hope that somebody reexamines this and gets this man in there so he can enjoy uh, the opportunity to walk across that stage and give a speech that he deserves to give. Because, folks, uh, as I said, I grew up uh, uh, one of the childhood heroes I had watching Bobby Dandridge, Wes Unseld, Elvin Hayes. Talk about the bullets. And, of course, bullets fever. We'll never forget it. 
it. Of course, an incredible run. You came back uh, down 3-1. to one. The Spurs, amazing comeback all the way through. Talk about that special year, Dick Mata and the Fat Lady singing for the Bullets. Uh, talk about that great time. You know, that was a, that was a special time. Um, because as I alluded to earlier, for me personally, it gave me the opportunity to do whatever player wants to be able to do is to say that, you know, that year, that was my team. Um, Dick Marlin, Bernie Bickerstaff afforded me the opportunity to do what I wanted to do as far as leadership on that particular team. Uh, that was a special year. And playing out at the Capitol Center in Largo, Maryland, was a, was a special time. And I, I know the owner, Abe Poland, Mr. Poland, sort of stayed out of the way and let Coach Marta you know, use his style of play, his way of motivating us. The fans in Landover were just just awesome um, because they had moved the team from Baltimore into the Capitol Center, and um, it was able to draw from what's called now the DMV area. And, I, and, and that was not an outstanding uh, regular season for us because I think we're probably still the only team that had a 500 record that has won a world championship. We had a bunch of injuries that year. Uh, of course, uh, Elvin probably missed no games, but West missed a few. I may have been out. Mitch Cupcheck was out for an extended period of time and probably our entire starting lineup plus our first nine guys spent some time out for at least five or six games, missing games. And uh, I think one of the fascinating things was uh, – or a big addition about midseason was Charlie Johnson that came in from Golden State. Uh, CJ. CJ, yep. In today's era, he was been like Ray Allen, what Ray Allen was to the Heat, to be able to come in and score three-pointers going down the stretch. But we had an average season, but the key was everybody came together. Um at the right time towards the end of the season. I think we went through Atlanta. It was a kid, Turf furlough that gave us the blues that particular series. We may have been up on them three or two to one, and then they came back and won a big crucial game, but we were able to win that series. And then we went on, uh, I think it was uh, in that round we played, uh, the 76ers were next. And uh, the key was that we went into Philly and won the first the first game, and that was a shock of the Philly. But that gave us a home court advantage. We went into uh, 
they won the next game at home. We had two games in Washington, which we won, and we eventually won that uh, series in six games. And this was really the first opportunity uh, to really Washington be able to have the matchup that probably Washington uh, Bullets probably were most concerned about, and that was that small forward spot with Julius Irvin and myself. And I was able to win that particular battle, which was one of the three or four reasons that we beat the 76ers. And then we went on against this young uh, Seattle team, and they may have beat us at home in the first game. But uh, in a seven-game series, we were able to to just hang tough. And, and I need to say that we would not have been – we would not have won that championship that year without our bench. And, and I talk about cup check. Greg Ballard and Larry Wright. Kevin Greavy, all those guys, yep. Yeah, Greavy had moved into the starting lineup, but uh and and Tom Henderson, our point guard, was underrated. Yes. Yes. Because he he controlled he was a young guy, maybe in his fourth or fifth year, and he was controlling the movement of three guys that had been in the league ten plus first years and he was able to deal with our egos and 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 we had a team that was desperate to win a championship. In fact the whole organization because Washington during the seventies always got to the final. I mean it was either yep. against the Knicks or yep. they had lost three years before that they got they got swept twice in the seventies. We swept them in Washington I mean, as the Bucks, and then they got swept by uh, Golden State. Yes, yes. So we had two guys, Elvin and West, and I need to say <laughs> Mr. Poland, who who could just taste the championship, and we were able to, to deliver that. And, you know, that was just a special year for the organization, and, and and as special as anything, at the ending was that the championship uh, parade went through every social, economical level of Washington, D.C. Yep. I mean, I think we came down Central Avenue, uh, the proceedings, and... Yep. Uh, the procession came down Central Avenue right there at Benning and North Capitol by this place, the shrimp boat, and some kind of way that <laughs> circled, and we ended up coming through Capitol Hill. And so that was a special time because everybody in the city, no matter what your social economics were, got a chance to feel that they were a part of that championship team. Well, I tell you what, uh, 
Our special guest, Bob Dandridge, the legendary Washington Bullet and Milwaukee Buck, joins us on Sports King. San Antonio journalist Dan Cook used the phrase, the f- operating over till the fat lady sings. And of course, that became a rallying cry for the Bullets. The fat lady indeed did sing for Dick Mata and Bob Dandridge and company. How good was Bob Dandridge? Well, he scored more points in the NBA Finals in the 1970s than any other player, including Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He scored a total of 450 points in the NBA Finals, playing a total of 23 games. Games, uh, averaging 19 points a game, and most notably, he scored 190, 109 points in the 1979 NBA Finals, which was the most on the Washington Bullets team. And uh, our final moments with Bob Dandridge, what an honor it's been for me. Of course, 14 years old I was when uh, the Bullets won, and that was quite a while back. But Bob, let me ask you this. When you look at all of your career in totality, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Washington Bullets, the World Championships, all of the awards, all of the you know banners, the jerseys being uh, retired. When you look at everything you did, the fifteen thousand five hundred fifty points. What can you, in terms of your all-time honor, is there one thing that stands out above everything else for you? You and and I need that's easy but difficult to say because. Back in 1983, a guy named Dr. Joe Carr and myself, with the help of a mental health firm in D.C. called PSI, delivered to the NBA a program that was based on transitional help for veterans leaving the league coming to the real world and during the process of trying to get this program into the league it was changed by the league to the rookie transition program and that rookie transition program has been used by all three major sports for the last 31 or 32 years and that was based on my having to make the transition or the difficulty that pro athletes have in making the transition from pro sports to the real world. And we were able to put it in writing, to put it into theory. And that, to me, is a program that's been functioning in three major sports for the last 30, 32 years. Wow. And for me, that is something that's not talked about. But, you know, I I think if given the proper recognition, the three of us, that would be my greatest contribution. And, uh, you know, that's how that goes. Well, I'll tell you what, that just speaks to the man. I, I really uh, was expecting maybe a particular shot you made or a game you oh, won, no. and, and you went right to that, which shows uh, how important passing on the game and making the game better is to you and just speaks to the man. Another reason he deserves being a Hall of Fame, folks. And uh, I think about you and your career, and, uh, of course, you look when you came in and uh, you were drafted, of course, in 69. Can you imagine what Bobby Dandridge would be worth in today's day and age? I think they'd have to back up the truck for you, Bob. 
Hey, look, hey, look, they underpaid me then and they try to underpay me now. <laughs> I agree. And, I agree and, a thousand. I agree a thousand percent. And I tell you what, real quick, we only have a few seconds left. Who's the best player in the NBA today, in your opinion? Uh, I would say LeBron. Okay. But guess what? LeBron, what? LeBron could not stop Bobby D. Tell the truth. Oh, no. No? Uh, no, I love oh, it. No. I love it. <laughs> hey, listen, man. Hey, you take me back to where I was fourteen. This has been such an honor. I'd love to have you back during uh, the NCAA tournament, the NBA finals, and uh, it's always okay. great, kid. Huh? I say whenever you're ready, man. It's always great catching up with you. What an honor! Like I say, hey, Bullets Fever, and you will always be a childhood hero. Thank you so much, Mr. Bobby Dandridge. Uh, an honor for me, and thank you for our listeners as well. They really appreciate catching up with you. Okay, have a great week too, and thanks again for having me on your show. You got it, Bob Dandridge. What a legend, and uh, what an opportunity to catch up with the all-time greats. You're listening to Sports King on Sports 106.1. We'll be right back. Hi, sports fans. This is former Washington Redskins quarterback and Super Bowl 26 MVP, Mark Griffin. You are listening to my favorite sports show, The Sports King, hosted by my great friend, Jamie King, on Sports 106.1. Less is more, right? Well, not when it comes to dealership benefits. I'm Tim Cosgrove, General Manager at CMA's Colonial Honda. We're moving lives forward by extending the warranty on every new car from 5 years and 60,000 miles to 7 years and 100,000 miles. Our mission is to always give our customers more. That's why we have 7 Honda Master Technicians and offer a free car wash with every service visit. And now, we will even bring test drives to you because we know that your busy schedules make it difficult to stop in the dealership. Another thing we're extremely proud of is our commitment to the community. From local hero discounts to childhood cancer programs to sponsoring Boy Scout troops. The people truly make us who we are, and we are proud to give back to the ones that give so much to us. So worry less and smile more. Only at CMA's Colonial Honda. Owners just do more. Visit CMA'sColonialHonda.com today. You're listening to the man who thinks that Velcro is nothing more than a ripoff. The Sports King on Sports 1061. Welcome back, everyone. Sports King on a Wednesday morning. Hope you're doing great wherever you are. And cannot thank the great Bobby D. Bobby Dandridge from the Milwaukee Bucks. And, of course, I remember him best from the world champion Washington Bullets. The only question I did not get to ask him was about the Wizards' name. I can't stand that name, Ben. I love the Bullets' name. That was my favorite team growing up. And, as I said, at 14, Bobby D. and company brought home the world title. Ben, your takeaways from the interview, uh, as you learn so many different aspects to Bob Dandridge, a guy that should definitely be in the Hall of Fame and for whatever reason is not. I think it's because he's not outspoken, but he definitely needs that call. Uh, politics, man. That's what it always comes down to. I think that was the term that he used uh, right there when we were talking to him. It's always cool to hear some of the, the old guys talk and tell stories. That's the big takeaway, man. When he talks about playing against Julius Irving, that I mean gives you goosebumps. You're like, man, I wish I'd been, I wish I'd been alive in that era to see, uh, to see that happen, like see it firsthand, like you were, you know, able to uh, to watch him play first uh, firsthand and see the Bullets win a title. Um, I'd forgotten that he was a two-time champion. I don't know how it slipped my mind with both the Bucks and the Bullets. Um, 
you know, of course, a Virginia product, a, a native here, uh, here in Richmond, and uh, went to Maggie Walker and then Norfolk State and had a great career. Uh, that was cool. I'd, it'd be cool to see him, you know, we've had a ton of guys between the NFL, NBA, what have you on the show since we started this thing a couple of months back. And there's a lot of guys that I feel like deserve that call, yep. you know, whether it's Canton or whether it's to be in the NBA Hall of Fame. And uh, any if he were to go in, it would be deservedly so. Yep. So. And the thing about Bob Dandridge was I said to him, how do you make it look so easy? He said, well, it wasn't easy. He yeah. put so much time into it. But when he got to the court, he made it look so easy, so fluid. He was a long player, a great defensive player. Offensively, with the ball in his hands, was able to make things happen. He's just magical. And uh, Yeah, just watching old footage. I mean, he made it look effortless. And you heard what so. he said, though, when I asked him the question. <laughs> and so many people think, well, the players of today can beat the players of yesterday. Blah, blah. Hey, folks, let me, get, uh, let me set you straight on one thing. The basketball is round. The court, we know the dimensions. But when you have to step on the court, in his prime, I don't care if it's uh, James Harden, LeBron, Giannis, whoever it may be, all great players. But trust me when I say this, you will not stop Bobby D from scoring. He is going to get it done one way or the other on both ends of the court. Just an amazing player. The Wizards don't – excuse me, Wizards. See, there, there I go messing up. The Bullets don't win a world title without Bobby D. The Bucks don't win without Bobby D. Just one of the greatest players of all time, and we can't thank him enough for joining us. What an honor and a privilege for me. And, man, I tell you, I know you see it in me. I feel like that 14-year-old kid again, and it always is a thrill to go back talking to those guys. Ben, I know you've got something along the NBA lines. Uh, you're going to let me know this one about Harden and D'Antoni with Houston. What's going on there, Ben? I mean, just they they needed a bounce back in in the worst way possible. Um, I know we'll touch on the NBA scoreboard, and we might as well start there. Uh, Harden, 37 points, leading Houston to a 117-111 win over the Timberwolves. Snapped a four-game skid. They trailed for a lot of the early part of the game, but used a big run in the third quarter, capped by a a three by Harden from like the parking lot, I think at that point from what from the uh, <laughs> the replay I saw. Um, but they needed to win, and they had a a really embarrassing loss on Sunday um, to Orlando in Houston at home by 20 points, I think it was on Sunday. And Harden said he wasn't going to let it happen again. This was James Harden after the fact saying that uh, you know he turned the wick up a little bit last night. We started off even slow, first three quarters. Well, towards the end of the third quarter, we picked it up and we got into their bodies, did what we were supposed to do, uh, created some turnovers, created some easy shot, shot opportunities for ourselves. And I mean, that's what, what it's going to have to be every single game. There you have it. James Harden after the fact last night. And then head coach Mike D'Antoni also happy. He mentioned hitting rock bottom, I think, the other day. Uh, happy to get a win again was coach Mike D'Antoni. Here he was after the win. I told you hopefully last game we hit rock bottom. Well, I can see it from where we are. We advanced a little bit. If I look down, I can still see the rock bottom, but hopefully we a little bit better. And then uh, obviously we got a great test coming up Thursday. Well, I tell you what, Ben, I don't know your thoughts on that, Tony. It just seems like it's so funny. I'll watch him during the game when Harden and Westbrook, they'll walk by him. He looks at them and just kind of trails with his eyes as he walked by. And then sometimes if I can see a little bubble up next to his head, I'm wondering what he's thinking. Like, guys, I can't uh, seem to get through to you at times. Or, guys, you frustrate me. It seems like uh, it is funny. there's Curious. a lot of communication breakdown at times with that team. But they are talented. But 
uh, disjointed would be a word I'd use because sometimes they just don't seem to be on the same page with Antonio. He looks like he uh, doesn't know what's going on sometimes. They had dropped to six in the Western Conference, and of course, playoffs, they're coming up quick. Uh, Westbrook also finished with 27 last night Okay, in that win. Well, I'm going to go through the NBA scoreboard. Thank you very much, Ben, for that. A great report. Uh, Celtics at the Pacers. Celtics win 114-111. Gordon Hayward, 27 points, 10 rebounds in the win. Sabonis in the loss for Indianapolis, 28 points, 9 rebounds, 8 assists. Great game for him. The Wizards, the wonderful Wizards of Oz, it should be named the Bullets still, uh, defeat the Knicks. Once again, everybody defeats the Knicks, especially on the road. The Knicks only 9-23 and 23, uh, for the winning Wizards. 39 points, 3 rebounds, 7 assists for Bradley Beal continues his tear after the All-Star game. In Chicago as the Bulls defeating the Cavaliers 108-103. Wendell Carter Jr. for Chicago had 17.6 rebounds in the win. Cleveland had uh, Colin Sexton 26 points, 3 rebounds in the loss. It was the Rockets, as Ben just mentioned moments ago, defeating the Timberwolves 117-111 in Houston. James Harden, as Ben mentioned, 37 points, 4 rebounds, 7 assists. Uh, it was the Magic over the Grizzlies in Memphis, 120-115. It was the uh, Battle of Texas. It was the Spurs and Mavericks in uh, San Antonio. The Spurs get the better of them. Luka Doncic, 38 points in the in the uh, loss. Derek White, 14 points in the win for San Antonio. It was the Trailblazers at home defeating the Suns, 121-105. Damian Lillard had uh, 25 points in the win. And uh, moving on, it was the Clippers defeating the Warriors, 131-107. Uh, in that game, Kawhi Leonard, 23 points, another big night for him. Final game of the night, the Lake Show. And see, Ben, this is why we can never really talk about the NBA with a lot of clarity. We said the Lake Show should win this one easily. They get beat by the Nets at home for the eighth time. 104-102, the Nets get him. Uh, Karis LeVert, 22 points in the win for Brooklyn. LeBron, 29 in the loss. Uh, makes you scratch your head. Anyway, we're going to take a timeout, come back with your phone calls. You're listening to Sports King on 1061, coming up at uh, around 1130. Joe Moglia, chairman of TD Ameritrade. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Number 54, Washington Redskins. You're listening to my friend, Jamie King, the Sports King, on Sports 106.1. Looking for a top-tier university that is affordable? Coastal Carolina University offers more than 100 undergraduate and graduate programs designed to help you earn your degree. Visit coastal.edu and learn more about the coastal commitment to student learning and student-led research. Coastal Carolina University is consistently ranked as a top best value university in the South. Visit coastal.edu to learn more and schedule your campus tour. Hi, it's the Sports King, Jamie King, and I'm here to offer you truly life-changing advice. If you or someone you know suffers from foot pain, don't delay. Take immediate action and visit the podiatry centers of Dr. Paul Ross with two offices to serve you, Bethesda, Maryland, and Springfield, Virginia. I know firsthand he changed my life and totally restored my foot. He will do the same for you. That's the podiatry center of Dr. Paul Ross. For more information, go to paulrossdpm.com. That's paulrossdpm.com. The Sports King Studio line is now open. 
If you got a sports question, thoughts on your mind about your favorite team, we'd love to hear from you at 804-327-0888. That's 804-327-0888. Welcome back, Sports King, on a Wednesday. Uh, of course, our first guest in the first hour, Bobby Dandridge, former Washington Bullet. What a player he was, and hopefully he gets the call to the Hall of Fame. We can't thank him enough for joining us on the Sports King. Of course, alongside Ben Maitland, I'm Sports King Jamie King. We'd love to take your phone calls, talk about the Bob Dandridge interview, your remembrances of him as a Milwaukee Buck member or member of the world champion Washington Bullets. What do you think about the Wizards name? Do you like it? Me, not so much. The phone line here, 804-327-0888 is the number. 804-327-0888 is the number here. If you want to reach out, talk to us about NBA, NHL, uh, NFL, anybody free agency. We're here to talk about sports of all sorts, so please uh, give us a call. 804-327-0888 is the number. Start the petition to... (laughs) To get Bobby D into the Hall of Fame. Well, that and then um, no to the Wizards. Sports King says it ain't so. No to the Wizards. Get back to the give me back my bullets, huh? Yeah, give me my bullets back, my man. Uh, I know the social aspects where they're saying, hey, well, because of the violence aspect. But, man, come on. I mean. It's one of those things that, you know, I, I guess I get. But at the end of the day, I don't get also. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean. Bullets so. fast, bullets shooting straight, bullets. I mean, come on. It, it was a That's great, what I always, you know, kind of associated with it. Quick. And I love the jersey yeah. because in the middle, yeah. the two L's had hands up and it had a basketball yep. where the hands, I mean, just a perfect, perfect uh, logo. And it was I, a good one. I loved every aspect of it. Anyway, getting back to last night in the NBA, we left off with the Rockets, 117, 111 winners over the T Wolves. Um, that game, of course, has some great comments from D'Antonio and uh, James Harden. Uh, he played those. And, That's D'Antoni's uh, twin brother, yeah. D'Antonio. D'Antonio. <laughs> D'Antoni. D'Antonio Banderas. D'Antonio Banderas, yes. Uh, hey, these names are changed to protect the innocent. Uh, we look at tonight's scoreboard action. We've got tonight, 7 o'clock, the Pistons at 76ers, Wells Fargo Arena, and Wells Fargo Arena in Philadelphia. The line is the 76ers favored by 11, 211.5, the over-under number there. Knicks at the Hawks. Uh, that game, the Hawks favored by 4.5, 232.5, over-under there. Hornets at the Heat. Ben Maitland, 10-point favorites are the Heat, uh, 211.5, over-under there. Jazz at the Thunder, OKC favored by 2, over-under 217.5. The Nuggets at the Mavericks, uh, the uh, line is Denver favored by 2, over-under 218. The last game of the night, we love this team, the Sacramento Kings, for obvious reasons. We love the Kings here. Pelicans at the Kings, Zion Williamson goes to Sacramento. Golden one center in uh, Sacramento, the site. No line on that game. Of course, Brandon Ingram brings in uh, 24.2 points a game for New Orleans. Darren Fox, 20.4 for Sacramento. Should be a very interesting game there at Golden one center in Sacramento. Yes, sir. Fair 28 and 36 teams. Pelicans by one and a half. At the moment, so okay. as far as a, an actual line is concerned, if you're look, if you're for your betting purposes, out if there, you're guys. looking at that kind of thing, my man, and uh, Ben, I want to turn our attention, and we talked about it, and you know, I looked into it yesterday. I was reading up on some of the past things. It just kind of 
uh, got to me a little bit in terms of uh, we're talking about the coronavirus and uh, how they're keeping the, a lot of the reporters away from the locker rooms now. That's going on. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, you go to a Costco these days or grocery store. It looks like end of days, my man. Every roll of toilet paper is gone. Every bottle of water seems to be gone. Uh you know, I know people are getting extremely worried. And don't get me wrong, they're, I'm not a doctor. Ben's not a doctor, although we did stay at a Holiday Inn last night. Uh, I had to throw that in. But, um, you know, I, I look back at the Ebola situation. I look back at swine flu. I look back at some of the very, you know, bad things that have happened in terms of uh, uh, things we had to really watch out for. But I never remember this kind of hysteria and I know the cases aren't as high as uh, some of these other ones, but so many people have died from the flu more. And I know then they say, well, if you're older, um, they say that uh, the elderly or uh, older Americans are um, in position where this could be dangerous for them. Of course, young children, they've talked about that. But uh, the fact is you have to be sensible. One thing, Ben, we talk about, of course, I'm a germaphobe, as you well know, and I wash all the time. And I'm very, uh, even before this happened, I like to wash my hands and uh, always take care of those type of things at all times because you just don't want to pass on anything. You have to be smart if you're sneezing, if you're coughing, be considerate of others. But I'm hoping, Ben, because they're talking about things like uh, taking away the NBA Finals, uh, the playoffs, the NCAA tournament, uh, the Masters, things like that could be affected as far as the crowds, the large crowd size. Um, It'd be easier to list what's not yeah. – or what could not be affected as to what uh, what possibly is. And right I guess now. my question for you is, right. do you remember with <clears throat> all of the other aspects of the swine flu and Ebola – the hysteria in terms of what they're telling people to do and not to do and the, and the play it's getting from a national standpoint, media-wise. And so I wonder sometimes, I mean, you can say what you want or agree or disagree, but if someone says this enough, it's going to affect your stock market. It's going to affect your financial aspects. It's going to affect your businesses. It's going to have a worldwide effect. And I'm not saying it's not something we all have to be cognizant of. I'm just saying that it seems like uh, for the amount of cases that have been talked about and found out in the United States, it's not as large as some of these other aspects. Is it being overplayed in your opinion? I think to a degree it is. I, you know, I understand taking precautions, but but flat out canceling, like the Ivy League. Um, I know that upset a lot of people. The Ivy League canceling their tournaments, um, not just the men's tournament, the women's tournament also. Uh, saying in a statement the decision's been made in accordance with the, the guidance of public health and medical professionals to discourage and limit large gatherings on campuses in light of the coronavirus or COVID-19 situation. Um, I, I feel like a lot of it, I feel like it is overblown to a degree. Um, but then the other part of me thinks, you know, I, we're, we're trying to look out for people and, and trying to, to, you know, avoid said large gatherings and trying to keep people away from one another. It's, it's a hard thing to do. I mean, we you go to you go out in the world every day. You're around people, you know, um, driving up and down the road, or if you go to the, the store or what have you. I mean, it's a similar situation or similar concept. So from that standpoint, I don't understand it. But you know, the name of public health, I guess I get it. Yeah, if that makes sense. I know it sounds like a double talk kind of or talking out of both sides of your mouth, but still, um, I know that Ivy League, as far as the Ivy League tournaments being canceled, the players were not happy. Uh, Harvard guard Bryce Aiken, he tweeted his frustration on Tuesday, 
quote, horrible, horrible, horrible decision and total disregard for the players and teams that have put their hearts into this season. This is wrong on so many levels, and the Ivy League should do its due diligence to find a better solution. Everyone knows the risks of playing. So, you know, I get it from a player's perspective from uh, from Harvard because uh, Yale is – the way this all works with the tournaments being canceled, Yale gets the automatic bid for the NCAA tournament in the men's side of things. Princeton, for the women's side, they get the bid to the women's tournament. Um, so I think the tournament was going to be played at Harvard. You know, they feel cheated out of a chance to maybe go out there and, and, and take it for, uh, for themselves or win the tournament and, and get the automatic bid and it goes to a different school. So – I can understand their frustrations. I can understand Zakin's frustration there. And then uh, other members of the Ivy League, it doesn't stop there. Uh, the uh, MAC, the Mid-American Conference uh, tournament's going to be closed to the public. They're still playing it, but it's a, a, quote, restricted attendance policy for both the men's and women's postseason tournaments. Those are being held in Cleveland uh, for the MAC. So, but no general public. So that'll be a little strange to see those played without people in the stands. Um, that's, I mean, it's really strange. I said yesterday that... I can't remember if it was two games or just the one in Baltimore at Camden Yards that were played in front of no one uh, back when the riots happened a handful of years ago. That was really one of the strangest, oddest, most eerie things I've ever seen in my life uh, in a sporting event was to see nobody there. And then there was a home run or two that was hit, and all you heard was clang, clang, clang for the ball hitting around the uh, the seats with nobody there. So that's where we're at, and that's – uh. My gut tells me this is not the last things to be affected. Well, I did some research, as you know I do on this show. And yeah, right I'm, so. I'm looking at some of the past situations in terms of the dangerous growth and uh, the people are talking about the coronavirus. The Ebola at the same time was much more severe. SARS was much more severe. Then coronavirus comes in, probably a distant third, then swine flu, then MERS. So, I mean, there were other aspects that, I can never remember. I know Ebola was bad. I know SARS was bad. People talked about it but took precautions. But I don't remember the hysteria that this has received. And some people are saying, well, is it political? Is it uh, environmental? I mean, where is it coming from? Why are people, uh, not only on media side, but sports side, everything, it seems like the quarantines of, I've heard New York now has quarantine areas and, and various places. And you just mentioned about basketball tournaments with no fans. I agree with you. I saw the baseball games you're talking about with nobody there. Uh, but you're looking at an NCAA tournament, Ben. It could be without fans. And, uh, you know, because people are just – people are talking, I know, in the Catholic religion, they're talking about uh, not doing the sign of the cross, not doing uh, some of the things they do within the church confines because they don't – you know, people turn and shake hands and things like that. They don't do that anymore. Uh, you know, I guess stadium situations. I'm wondering how it's going to affect the entertainment industry as well, Ben, when you have uh, concerts and uh, – uh, comedy events and all of the things where people love to go and congregate. And now uh, a lot of that's know, already been canceled. Yeah. Too. I mean, so, so it's affecting a lot yeah. and we certainly hope that it we get everything. the, uh, uh, the cure is found quickly and that we get some, some help on this so we can get back to some normalcy. Because as we said, we try to avoid this. We try to bring you all the great news every day, but this of course is omnipresent and something we have to discuss. And uh, of course uh, we'll talk with Joe Moglia coming up at 1130 the chairman of TD Ameritrade, and one of the first questions is the coronavirus with him and in the markets. I mean, he's a worldwide national expert, and he'll tell us what his opinion is again. Uh, I thought by now we would have a little bit of a uh, relief, but it seems to be just uh, continuing on. 
But like I say, folks, remember uh, Ebola, SARS, MERS, swine flu. These were other things we had to deal with, and we came through it. You know, we're Americans. We're going to come through anything. That's how we do it. Hope so. uh, For what it's worth, the Big East um, associate, I think associate commissioner, came out and said this morning on CBS Sports Radio that they are proceeding forward with spectators. Uh, Also mentioned it's a fluid situation. I forget the gentleman's name. I don't have it in front of me. Who said this this morning. But their first-round games are today, or start tonight. You have, uh, I believe, St. John's and Georgetown tonight, and then DePaul and Xavier is also tonight uh, in the Big East tournament. And that they were going to proceed as, as planned. But, again, with the caveat that uh, you know, this is a fluid situation, things could change, you know, I guess, on a daily basis. But for the time being, they will have people. If you'd like to join in the conversation, give us a call. 804-327-0888 is the number. What's your opinion on the coronavirus affecting sports world and uh, other world in general? Uh, give us a call. Once again, 804-327-0888. Ben, uh, the NBA's Board of Governors prepares to confer with the Commissioner's Office on this afternoon in a critical conference call, uh, basically talking about moving some games to NBA cities that have yet to suffer outbreaks per league sources. So, uh, NBA is always already looking to address this situation, and NCAA will not be far behind. Of course, with March Madness coming up, uh, they're worried about that. So, uh, kind of wait and see. Then, Mar- of course, we got uh, all your NASCAR stuff. We've got uh, Major League Baseball right around the corner. So, this it's, it's is everything, man. Yeah. It's it's, fi- it's finding a way into every aspect of life, uh, real or imagined, or whatever you want to call it right now. So, I don't know ultimately where things where things go uh, i mentioned the the thing about the mac closing their tournaments to the public uh of course that was set to be played in cleveland ohio governor mike dewin uh, had recommended that sporting events at indoor facilities in the state take place without spectators now if you want to fast forward um dayton arena is scheduled to host the ncaa's first four games march 17th and 18th and then rocket mortgage arena in cleveland is set to host first and second round men's and women's games uh, as far as the NCAA is concerned, too. You look at Ohio State, they announced classes will be conducted online and online only until at least March 30th. And then there was a situation, I believe, I saw it this morning, didn't get the whole scoop, but um, at the University of Dayton, where the school was going to, um, you know, I hate to use the word evict, that sounds like you do, you're flat out being kicked out and never coming back, but they were going to tell students to, to leave. Um, and basically, I think four students to leave on-campus housing unless there was a reason for them to stay uh, over fears of the coronavirus. So, like I said, it's reached into every every aspect of, of public life right now. Soldier well, forth, I guess, best you can. My wife is a speech pathologist at Quantico, and um, they've already canceled classes this week right. uh, because they had a parent, I think, that traveled overseas through the military. Uh, both the high school and the middle school and the elementary school, I believe, have all been uh, shut down uh, this week. And then my neighbor across the street, John, who uh, works at Quantico, says his job, which is not school-related, uh, they have been given uh, kind of emergency treatment in terms of uh, training to actually work from home on the telecommuting aspect. So, uh, like I say, everyday life is being affected more and more by this, and I know they're working feverishly to – I guess it's not a good quote, but uh, uh, they're working. Walked right into that one. Yeah, I worked right into that (laughs) one. They're working quickly to uh, get this done and uh, hopefully resolve it as quickly as possible. So, once again, we'd like to take your phone calls eight zero four three two seven zero eight eight eight. Of course, thank you to Bob Dandridge. 
the great Milwaukee Buck and Washington Bullet for joining us in our first hour. And I've got some other news for you, Ben. The New England Patriot, former New England Patriot tight end Rob Gronkowski is close to finalizing a deal. Not with the New England Patriots, Ben. Oh, no. He is going to join the WWE, according to uh, Fox Sports' WWE backstage program. Gronkowski, Ben, is in deep talks with the pro wrestling promotion, according to the report. Though how he'll be used on screen is unknown. Will he be an announcer? Will he be an actual participant? Gronkowski, 30, has worked with the WWE before. He took part in the Andre the Giant Battle Royale at WrestleMania 33 in 2017, jumping the barricade to help wrestler Mojo Rawley, who is a friend of Gronkowski's, win the match. So your take on Gronk, who can't play football now because it's too violent, but I'm going to go in and potentially wrestle guys and subject myself to uh, getting beat up in the squared circle. Your thoughts on that? He's got the personality to be a personality if he wants to go that route. Uh, He's dabbled in the TV side of things there with Fox. So, yeah, why not? You know, Gronk clearly needs something to do with his time. I guess it's just not enough to sit around and be retired and sit around at home and do nothing or twiddle his thumbs or watch TV. He's got to be on TV in some capacity. So I say go for it. You know what? Whatever makes you happy, Rob. New car from five years and 60,000 miles to seven years and 100,000 miles. Our mission is to always give our customers more. That's why we have seven Honda Master technicians and offer a free car wash with every service visit. And now we will even bring test drives to you because we know that your busy schedules make it difficult to stop in the dealership. Another thing we're extremely proud of is our commitment to the community. From local hero discounts to childhood cancer programs to sponsoring Boy Scout troops. The people truly make us who we are, and we are proud to give back to the ones that give so much to us. So worry less and smile more. Only at CMA's Colonial Honda. Owners just do more. Visit cmascolonialhonda.com today. You're listening to the guy that was once addicted to brake fluid. But please don't worry, he says he can stop at any time. It's the Sports King on Sports 1061. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us on the Sports King Show. We love having you on board every day, Monday through Friday, our new time, 10 a.m. to 12 noon across 1061. Uh, We thank you so much, of course, before us. You've got in a new time slot, Big Al, Sports Phone, 8 to 10, Monday through Friday. And by the way, Ben. Yes. How is Big Al doing there? Uh, He's same old Al, you know. He's doing fine. We're uh, we're enjoying moving, moving to an hour later. Uh, being able to sleep a little later in the morning is not a bad thing. I don't care what day of the week it is. So, we we're doing okay. We've um, uh, had a pretty busy week to this point. We talked to college hoops this morning for for quite a quite a while. That's really what is moving the needle at this point. Um, that's towards the front burner now that you're into uh, to conference tournament time. Uh, March Madness here right around the corner. I mean, we're, we're in the midst of March Madness, uh, but the NCAA tournament here right around the corner too. Uh, you know, we're, we're making it. You know, NFL free agency is also, I think, on, on the or near the front burner, 
middle burner. Depends on how many burners you have on the stove, I guess, <laughs> uh, to a degree. But uh, it's been a good week. We had um, Jim Hobgood, I think, joined us on uh, uh, yesterday, former UVA basketball player, UVA alum. And, again, we had – We've had a good week. Ben Verlander, actually Justin Verlander's brother, will join us for a few minutes tomorrow. So maybe an update on JV uh, at some point tomorrow during the show. Fantastic. Uh, that's some great stuff there. And, of course, earlier, if you missed it, you can always hear us now on all of the podcasts as we are now uh, heard worldwide. Uh, the show can be heard uh, worldwide on Apple, on Android, everywhere. Uh, across the country, internationally. The show is being heard everywhere. We're so excited because now with the worldwide audience asking for our show on the podcast side, you can listen to us anytime, and we are so excited about that. We're also excited, of course, to exclusively have Joe Mowgli of the Joe Mowgli Report heard here every uh, week. You can hear Joe and all of his advice, and we're so excited to have him with us. Uh, it's brought to you by Coastal Carolina University, and we've got a lot to ask him. So let's bring him on now, the chairman of TD Ameritrade, former coach of Coastal Carolina, our friend, the Joe Mowgli Report. Coach, how are you doing today? Hey, Coach, good morning. How are you? Yes. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Coach, we want to get right to it. Uh, I've been asked repeatedly. People stop me. They say, hey, uh, what's going on on this coronavirus situation? What is Coach Joe doing? What is Joe thinking? How uh, is it going for him since it, he uh, talked about it early on and it appears to have worsened in some ways? How do you, uh, uh, from an advice standpoint, what do you give everyday invest investors in terms of hunkering down and weathering the impending storm? I think, Jamie, first of all, you know, congratulations on the success and the, uh, and the acceptance with regard to, to, to your, your, with regard to your show. It's something you should be very proud of. And you've worked very, very hard to get there. And uh, so uh, continued uh, good luck and success with regard to that. As far as the virus goes, I think we talked about this uh, a few weeks ago when the concern that I had then is that um, a virus spreads and we were not hearing anything specific out of China or from any place else in the world about, well, it, but what exactly, um, how exactly do you get it? How can you prevent from getting it? There wasn't, wasn't simply enough guidelines with regards to that. We know now that uh, if if what they are looking at with regards to potential vaccines that can fix it, the soonest, and this would be very fast, that could take place in let's say, the next 18 months or so. So the benefit to that, though, at least if there's another virus like this 10 years from now, we will have an antidote for it. But that's not the case now. So um, do I think that this is the end of the world? No, I don't think it's the end of the world. But I do think it's a pandemic uh, health crisis. And... Um, I think this morning there are close to 1,100 cases in the United States. But to put that in perspective, I think on Sunday or Saturday there were like 400. So that's almost a triple over the span of the last two days. Now, what people need to understand is that if, if you've got – if there are 10 people that have it and they touch 10 people, that means potentially 100 people now have it. So it grows exponentially. It does not grow like one person has it, then maybe another person has it. It just continues to grow. So, so there are good reasons why – uh, conferences are being shut down and uh, uh, concerts are being shut down and, and uh, there are states of emergency and uh, the entire country of Italy shut down, of course, quarantine, for example. So I think we've got to pay attention to what the doctors are telling us to do with regards to washing our hands 
you know, keeping clean, uh, be careful who you, you – the social distancing piece of this where you're not shaking hands, you're bumping elbows or something along those lines. But we should recognize that it's serious, and we should, should, should make sure we're taking – not panic, but make sure we're taking the appropriate precautions. Well, you know, uh, we looked at some graphs this morning, and the Ebola uh, virus at that same time as coronavirus was much more significant. But I don't ever remember the hysteria through the media aspects. And I'm not a political show. You know that, Coach, and I'm not trying to talk on the political side of things. But is this being politicized or is it being uh, overhyped by the media? I know it's, as you said, a health concern we all have to be worried about, be vigilant about. But it seems to me like it's getting more coverage where, like, the SARS and Ebola of the past didn't. So I'm kind of scratching my head saying uh, the common flu, of course, kills more people every year that people don't talk about as much. But this is right now front and center for us, but it kind of makes you scratch your head and say, why did those other diseases not get the attention this one's getting? And I'm just kind of at a loss. Uh, can you explain or give some thoughts about that? Well, first of all, I think SARS and the other viruses were a while ago. Okay. So I wouldn't even go back there. Uh, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't think that way, Jamie. Um, I wouldn't make a comparison. I wouldn't worry about that. I think, I think we're in a p- political year and you know, I've, I've never seen a situation over my lifetime where the Democrats so very, very much hate the current administration. I mean, hate the current current administration. So the politics in an election year are still there. There's no question about that. And the media does sensationalize because they're competing for viewers. So uh, they want people to tune into them or listen to them or read their stuff. But having said that, uh, just like you can't get emotional in the market, you can't be emotional with this. You've got to get rid of You've got to ignore all that. And just look at the facts that, you know, is it spreading? The answer is yes. Look at the number of cases that existed yesterday, a week ago, two days ago. And where are we today? And where are we going to be tomorrow? Then besides the cases, then how many people are actually dying from this? And what do you need to do to be smart to avoid that? Now, if you've got major responsibility and you're responsible for an institution, a school, a business, whatever it might be, then you've got to take the responsibility and help of those people into consideration. You've got to use common sense in terms of if you're going into the middle of an area where it was very, very, very significant, well, you've got to rethink things like that. So you've got to use good common sense. You've got to follow the protocol that the, that the uh, health organizations are providing us. And you can listen to the news, but don't get bogged down with the, with, with the hype. Focus on the numbers. And just by focusing on the numbers, you see that it is growing and it's growing significantly. It's growing in this country and it's been growing around the world. So just look at it that way. Great advice. Look at the numbers from a guy that knows numbers better than anybody. And, of course, it's funny you said that about the hysteria. I had an old producer at a morning news show years ago told me, in terms of his job to get the news out to people, to get people fired up or excited. He said, I'll never forget, he said, if it bleeds, it leads. Basically, if it's really hyped and exciting and can be controversial, that's what we want to get out front. And uh, Coach just said that and alluded to it very well. Uh, Coach, uh, I want to go on record in thanking you. We wouldn't have the success we have without you, and you've been paramount to my success, and uh, you're that good luck charm for us and our show, and uh, you've just been amazing. We can't thank you enough for being a part of our show weekly. And uh, once again, thank you for all you've done for us here at uh, 106.1. Uh, we want to thank you for that and also ask you from an advice standpoint, for those looking to succeed in the financial services field, what path do you recommend they take to succeed in either the financial or the corporate world? 
Well, I think when you look at the final, first of all, Jamie, I appreciate that, but you have done the work on this, and you and your team should be very should should be uh, applauded for that. With, with regard to taking a path, whether it's the corporate world or the financial world, um, you really have to. The key is to really understand who you are. So when I talk about the BAM concept, taking responsibility for yourself, one of the principles behind that is what I call spiritual soundness. Now, that can be religious, but it doesn't have to be. But it's really getting to know who you are. The reality is most of us are a composite of the people we interact with. So I, I am viewed at perhaps, or I view it myself one way, as a brother, as a spouse, as a father, as a partner, as a coach, as an executive, as a friend. Um, all those things, and I can kind of become the composite of, of who I am. Now, the reality is that's not necessarily who I am. That's the perception of who I am. And I think we've got to spend time really getting to know who we are. And we do that, I think, by uh, an exercise that I go through. I start writing things down. Uh, who am I really? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What are my colors? You know, well, what kind of music do I like? What turns me on? What turns me off? And you get into the skill set piece, and you understand, okay, this is really what I'm good at. Now, you find if you walk away from it, come back in a month, you probably change about 25% of the things because you say, you know what, I really don't like that type of music, but my girlfriend does. So therefore, I, do, or I, I don't really want to go down that path, but that's what my father did, so that's what I'm thinking about. So you get to the point where you're just totally focused on who you are, and if you do that, you have peace of mind because you know who you are, and it increases the probability you're going to make good decisions under stress. Um, if you make good decisions under stress, you increase the probability you're going to feel good about who you are and you're going to be happy, and that's all any of us really care about. So when you think about a career path, think about not who you're going to work for, but think about what would you want to do and what, 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 do, you think, what do you think you'd want to do and what are the skill sets that are required for success in that field. If you've done your homework on your own, then you ask yourself if you have those skill sets. If you don't, do not go down that path. I don't care what it is. If you do, then you still have to ask yourself one other question, and that is would I be passionate about this? If the answer to both of those are yes, then that's the right field for you, and you, and, and you increase it because most people never go through this process. You increase the probability that you're probably going to have a competitive advantage over 85% of the people that are beginning in that field. So, so th there is no magical formula, but the reality is you somebody's going to be in a particular career path, even though they may change jobs, for decade after decade after decade. And the amount of real thought that goes into what you're going to do and how you go about it is doesn't even come close to the amount of time that you're going to be, be in that particular field. So, so it, 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 that's the way I would start. That's literally where I would start. And then how you go for an interview, all those other things become secondary. But you want to make sure you have the skill sets and the passion for the field that, 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 you, choo that, that you choose to pursue. You're listening to the Joe Mowgli Report brought to you by Coastal Carolina University, heard exclusively here on Sports 1061 with our special guest, Joe Mowgli. And, Coach, you've been a leader in every sense of the word in every way. What's the best advice for someone who's looking to achieve a leadership position like yours and get noticed to be a steady riser within an organization? <laughs> the top was not easy for you. You persevered, you worked through it, and you got there just through your hard work, determination, and so forth. But as far as somebody saying, hey, I want to be like Joe, I want to get to that top level, what is your best overall advice for them? I think the key, really, as far as that goes, is that um, when, when, if you're going to get, if you're going to really move ahead in your career path, um, all people care about is once you actually have the job, is to what extent you're going to make a contribution to the success of that particular group, whatever group that might be, and where you uh, and and where where people stand out and what people 
what your bosses are really, really looking for are the people that handle themselves well under stress and pressure. So, again, if you're in the field that you really think you have, believe you have skill sets for and passion about, the chances of you handling yourself well under pressure are going to be pretty good. Uh, if you don't have those skill sets, or it may not be the right field for you, and if part of those skill sets you recognize, I'm really, really good, but I'm not great under pressure. Well, that's what you need to be able to do. You need to be able to put yourself in a position so you can be successful under stress because that's where people are going to evaluate you separately from somebody else. They can remember you did all these things over these last five years, but what they're going to remember the most is how you handled yourself six months ago, you know, when they, your particular world or field or whatever it might be was blowing up. You've accomplished so much. Uh, it's not always easy for you to achieve what you've achieved in both coaching and in business. What were your biggest early obstacles in your career? What did you do to overcome the adversity that you faced uh, throughout as you ascended through the ranks? Uh, the biggest adversity I had when I began is I stuttered. Uh, and I had a pretty serious stutter. I still actually have it. And it's my biggest single fear. Jamie, I get nervous getting on the show. Not because I'm worried about not because you're going to put me on the spot or not because I don't think I can answer the questions, but because I always have a fear that I'm not going to be able to get my words out. Fact, see, I never knew that. You, you hide it very well, well Coach. Well, well, the reality is, but I've got it. And the, the, when I was in grammar school, high school, or college, I would, even if I, if I was in school, if I, even if I knew the answer to a question, I wouldn't raise my hand because I'd be afraid I couldn't get my words out. Then all of a sudden I decided I want to coach. So go back to band, take responsibility for yourself. The, uh, uh, if, when I decided I want to coach, it would have been very easy to say, you know, I stutter. I can't communicate the way maybe other people can. I can, I'm not going to be able to get in front of a group and speak the way I need to. So I either allowed that to be an excuse to prevent me from going down the path that I would have wanted to go down, or I figured out a way to handle it. And, you know, my parents, my family didn't know about going to therapists or any of that. And I, I would stand in front of a mirror, and I would practice, and I would practice. First time I remember I had to speak, like, to our football team uh, in more of a formal setting, it was... I was a senior in college. It was my third year as an assistant coach at the high school level. I had to speak for three minutes. I probably prepared for 10 hours for that. So, uh, wow. I, so uh, again, what, what is the problem? What is, what, what, what is your biggest issue? Understand what it is. Under, is, is. Does it matter? If it doesn't matter, don't worry about it. Move on to something else. But if it does matter, then what's the problem? What's the solution to that particular problem? And then implement it. And if you solved it, great. You move on. And if you didn't solve it, then understand why you did it. And address that. But if it matters, too many people pay attention to this crap that really, really does not matter. But if it matters, and if it matters, then you've got to understand what the problem is, why you have it, and you've got to address the solution for it. My wife is a speech pathologist coach, and I know she'll uh, happily assist you on the stutter aspect and give you some tips if you give her financial tips. She'll trade it off. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway, what is your advice moving on for females who are often in a male-dominated workforce? What's your best advice for a woman to get noticed and succeed when they feel that they don't always get the opportunities that men get? Well, I might be a little controversial on this, but I don't, I don't have a problem with that, and I feel pretty strongly about this. Now, I raised three daughters. And I raised three daughters on the band principle. Now, to remind people what that is, you stand on your own two feet. You take responsibility for yourself. There are no excuses. You uh, always treat others with dignity and respect, and you're going to live with the consequences of your actions. I've had many, many, many women be part of my teams uh, as, as I've gone through the, the business world. And the same, same would be in terms of coaching, not, not as coaches or players, but with, you know, there were women on my staff, my, 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 in, in my internal team right now, that, that I have tremendous respect and regard for. 
So um, uh, anything I could do to help somebody, a female, I'd be glad to do that. But uh, I think that there's a lot of talk about, uh, you know, here are the statistics. Women need to be treated better. And, you know, this is going on. You've got the glass ceiling. And, and, uh, and, you know, everybody needs a mentor. And I don't disagree with any of those points. But competent women, no different than competent men, will be recognized by the job that they do. And if they're not recognized, that's because that whoever who's ever observing them uh, is not objective enough or might be prejudiced or whatever it might be. There's a problem with that person. But what you can't worry about that too much as a female because you don't have control over that. You only have control over yourself. And, 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 what, and all you need to do is really, really focus. Number one, I would put yourself in a position, as I said earlier, make sure you're in a field that you have the skill sets for and passionate about so you can really go after it. Then you've got to be able to handle yourself under stress. But once you start to say, oh, I'm not, get, I'm not getting a fair shake because I'm female, and I recognize there's, there's evidence for that. I recognize that. But once you say that, you're subconsciously letting yourself off the hook. And you can't let that happen as a female. My daughters can't let that happen. People can't let that happen. Because just letting that happen is, is not going to separate you from others. And um, you got to get your job done. you got to put yourself in a position where you can be successful. And then you got to be able to handle yourself under stress. That's great, great advice, Coach. And uh, it's really something that, you know, they just have to stand firm and uh, stand up and be accounted for. And they can do it just as uh, easily as a man if they basically follow your advice. And as you said, be accountable and uh, go for it. Great advice there. Uh, one more question before we come back from the break. We have a, a listener questions. We want to ask this real quick. We've got a minute uh, before break. Coastal Carolina TD Bank are partners as TD Bank officially renamed its sports complex, TD Sports Complex, in 2014. Of course, great things happened. Coastal Carolina 2016 wins the NCAA title in baseball. You deserve so much credit for the upgrade at the college in so many ways. Talk about that complex, what it has meant to Coastal Carolina. I think we actually had a business group come in from Omaha. We spent the last couple of days, and maybe, and I spent the entire day on Monday with them. And uh, they were actually on our campus. We gave them a tour, and we spent time. And we spent time together. Um, and we spent time. They were on our campus. We spent time together with regard to, uh, uh, you know, what some of the issues that they had with in in, in business world, and, uh, uh, and we we, we want to spend some time on that. And they were so amazed by what the campus looks like. And I think about what it looked like when I was there in 2012. It's just not the same. The university has gone through a $350 million uh, building campaign under the leadership of Dr. DeCenzo, our president. And the place today just doesn't even look like it did before. So the growth of the campus and, 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 and who we're trying to be as a university, uh, literally ones getting a little bit better every year. And we're compounding on that growth and proud to be part of it. You're listening to Joe Mowgli Report, brought to you by Coastal Carolina University, heard exclusively here on the Sports King Show. We're going to take a time out. We come back with Coach. He's going to answer listener questions, all that and more. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Sports King on Sports 1061. Hi, this is Joe Beninati. You're listening to the Sports King, Jamie King on Sports 1061. With 19 NCAA Division I sports and 84 majors, Coastal Carolina University affords student-athletes the competition and learning they crave. From FBS football to ladies volleyball, from championship baseball to ladies lacrosse, from business to theater arts, Coastal Carolina University offers a depth of learning both on the field and in the classroom. 
Eager Ambition is a hallmark of students and faculty at Coastal Carolina University. Schedule a tour and learn more at coastal.edu. Hi, this is Mike Singletary, former Chicago Bear, Hall of Famer. You're listening to my friend Jamie King, the Sports King on Sports 1061. Welcome back. You're listening to a man who is cooler than the other side of the pillow. It's the Sports King on Sports 1061. Welcome back to the Sports King on Sports 1061. I'm not cooler than the other side of the pillow. Joe Mowgli and that guy, cooler than the other side of the pillow. We'll pick up our conversation with the coach in just a second. I want to thank Bobby Dandridge, the great Milwaukee Buck and Washington Bullet World Champion, for joining us in hour one. 15,500 points he scored in his career. We thank Bobby Dangers for joining us. Now we want to continue our conversation with the chairman of TD Ameritrade as well as the former coach of Coastal Carolina. You know who he is, Joe Moglia. We've got some uh, listener questions coming up. I have one more question before we get to that, of course. Coach, I wanted to ask you about uh, the outstanding folks that have come through Coastal. They've had distinguished uh, alumni, Super Bowl uh type players. You've had singer-songwriters, Edwin McCain, wrestler Diamond Dallas Page, many other top university athletes, entertainers, business leaders. It's a school that is continually on the rise. You have to be so proud of the growth of the school and the rise in terms of national prominence as well. I very much am, Jamie. And, you know, one of the names that I I know there are many other names you could mention there, but one of them that's a little bit of a favorite favorite of mine when uh, early, early on when I when I arrived at Coastal, I was asked, kind of, Coach, what do you do when you get home? Do you like to watch football games? And I said, no, I watch enough tape throughout the span of the week. The last thing I want to do in the home is watch football games. But I enjoy my music. I enjoy watching a movie. And I enjoy binging at some of the Netflix things. One of those is House of Cards. And I'm just starting to go back and have to look again. Well, one of the stars in House of Cards is Michael Kelly. He's, he's, he's Doug Stanford, the chief of staff that Kevin Spacey, the president in, 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 in the series. And uh, he's, he's a coastal grad. And um, after I had said that, somehow the news had gotten to him. And then I had gotten a, a note from him, uh, a signed picture and framed. And, you know, said something along the lines of, Coach, I hear you're a fan. You know, proud of the job you're doing at Coastal, go shot, something along those lines. And I've got it up on my wall in the office. So as the university does continue, as the university grows, there's going to be more and more of, the, of those types of examples. Fantastic. I mean, like I say, school is on the rise. Coastal Carolina, we love them here on the Sports King. Okay, Coach, we have about four minutes. we got to roll through these listener questions. Let's try to get to as many as we can. Dave from Memphis asks, Coach, how do you go about finding an up-and-coming stock early enough, Coach, to get on it quick enough to get in a successful position? I think I've got to begin, Dave, with the idea that I'm not going to find it so early enough to be able to do that. And I think, think just you've got to do your homework with regards to whatever stock you might be interested in. But the idea of getting out early before anybody else does, that, that's not going to happen unless you're exceedingly lucky. Marla from Ypsilanti, Michigan, wants to know, do you believe or like high-frequency trading, Coach? Uh, not particularly, no. Now, th- th- that's basically uh, the only reason why that exists is, is, is because of technology. And I don't know if it, if it really provides a real service for the marketplace, but that's not something that typical individuals ever going to be involved with. And it's not something we're going to have control over, so you shouldn't worry about it. Coach Joe Andrew uh, from Denver wants to know, what's the best stock you ever invested in? And conversely, what's the one you missed on that you wish you jumped on? Well, there were two stocks that I really, really feel great about that I also invested in, but they were also given to me as a significant part of my compensation. 
17 years I was at Merrill Lynch. Merrill Lynch had an incredible, incredible run in the 90s. Couldn't have been proud to be part of that and own that stock. And certainly the other one's TD Ameritrade. I've owned a significant position in that for the last 17, 18 years. I'm proud of that. Where I missed on, I think in the 90s, uh, when the dot-com boom really took off, I could have done a better job paying attention to some of those names that I could have done a better job getting in early on, and I kind of missed that. Okay. Paul from San Diego, Coach, wants to know, what's the best advice you ever received about investing in the stock market in general? It's, just, it's stuff that we've talked about all along, Paul. So you can never panic. you got to have a plan, and you, and it need to be adaptable and adjustable with that plan, but you can't be emotional. You can't panic. You need to have a plan and a strategy. Final question. David from Reston wants to know, if you've ever spent time, Coach, with Warren Buffett, and if you have, what do you think of his investment ideas and strategies in general? Okay, Warren and I are actually friends. The first time we got together, we had dinner in 2004. And there was a time there we had dinner probably every quarter by ourselves. And then when I went on to coaching, it was more difficult to be able to do that. But we've always stayed in touch. Uh, we actually played cards together. I played cards with him and Bill Gates. Uh, and then, uh, so with regard, with regard to his investing philosophy, he doesn't panic. He, he looks for the opportunity where he thinks something really, really makes sense and he's going to buy something for the long haul. Uh, how can you argue with the number one investor icon in the history of investments? Exactly right. Final question. It's advice time. Coach, what's the best advice you have for us this week in terms of financial or any tips for us? All right. Well, now the market, the market is not doing particularly well. I think the coronavirus and some of the problems we've got with Saudi Arabia and, and Russia with regards to energy is part of that problem. I literally now I, I've gone from being pretty constructive on the market uh, where I'm, I'm concerned. I'm becoming more and more bearish. And I, have become, I am becoming, at least, a seller into strength and a buyer small positions on real weakness. So let's make your position $5,000. Well, I begin by buying like a fifth of that, $1,000. Then it goes a little up by another $1,000. And until we get past this energy crisis and what's going on with the coronavirus, I continue to play it that way. Coach, thank you so much. We're running out of time, but uh, folks, it's the Joe Mugley Report, heard exclusively from Coastal Carolina on the Sports King. Coach, have a great week. Thank you so much. Sports King on tomorrow. Don't forget, we'll be right back here at 10 to noon. Join us then.